Hello listeners and welcome to Making It Make Sense with Isaiah, Jasper, and Theo. Make sure you go hit that like button, subscribe, and rate us on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts. We put out new episodes weekly, so you want to make sure you don't miss a single thing. And while you're there, you can also leave us a comment or two. Or, if you want to reach us more directly, you can DM us on our official Instagram at Making It Make Sense with IJT, or you can also email us at Making It Make Sense with IJT at gmail.com. This is Jasper. Welcome back to Making It Make Sense with Isaiah, Jasper, and Theo. Today we are going to try to make sense of dealing with loss and grief and getting through it. And now, here's my bro Isaiah to give his take on this topic today. Oh, wow. So, um, so this is incredibly um, timely and obviously, like, you know, you guys will hear this, like, a little bit a little bit later than than we're recording it as you know as is normal but um uh, so july 12th is uh my grandmother's birthday um and she passed away um in october of 2012 so it's kind of two times a year that are just you know just rough for our family um but we all deal with it very differently, obviously, but, uh, for me, I kind of, um, I shut down a bit, which I, I think I've, I've been very like aware and cognizant of that for a long time. If I feel like overwhelmed with emotion about something, um, I'll just kind of shut down. And, uh, when it first happened, you know, so full disclosure, so, uh, my grandmother was diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma. Um, apparently she was, it's a form of kidney cancer. And uh, she had been sick, actually. Well, she was had different ailments, but uh, things like that. But um, she'd actually been sick for five years. And, well, at least I'm going to speak for the set of the grandchildren at least we had no idea and oh. like she didn't tell us um about that so if she you know any doctor's appointments that she had gone to and stuff like that uh, we didn't know but um which i think sometimes is like characteristic of, of not i don't want to make a, a a generalization or sweeping generalization but i think a lot of uh, many Southern women are very dignified in that sense. They, they, they don't want to, they don't, you know, I don't want to feel like a burden. They'd like to, you know, if they know that something is coming, they like to, you know, just embrace it with class and, you know, they don't want to feel, and my grandmother was very much like that. She'd never wanted to feel like a burden on anyone. There's a, there's a generation, I think of people yes. who are like that. Yes. Ooh. Yes. That's why I thank you for that. Cause I, I kind of, I didn't want to make like a generalization that was completely incorrect, you know, like I, but I, you're right. I feel like there's a generation of people that are like that, you know, that oh, yeah. just, right. 
And so, um, so my grandmother was, I mean, she, I always feel like she was the only person in the world that like really got me, you know, like she really just like, she just, we would just give each other looks and she just like understood me, you know? And, um, and so like losing her just felt like, okay, like nobody else on this planet like not as a mom i love you <laughs> so this is not to say like listen you spend time inside that womb like you are connected for what you know for life but it's just you know like there's just a special bond that you have with your grandma right and um you know and i was like and and also love my cousins this is not a knock or anything but just like you know as the as the because she i was the old the not in birth order, meaning that that's makes you more significant or anything like that at all. But just like, I think because I was the eldest grandchild, like I just, I got like a lot of time with her. Just say it, Isaiah, you the best. From my, pers- from my, <laughs> from my <laughs> no, cause a couple of mine, I love my cousins. I, you know, they're listening, they're listening. But like, you know, like I, I, I just felt, and I'm sure like they felt like those different levels of bonds with her too, because she just, there was just, her name was Georgia. And Georgia was Georgia. Just, Georgia. Uh, that was so. That's the song I danced with my mom to at my oh. wedding. I danced uh, to Georgia on my mind, and oh, you know, like yeah, beautiful, was, beautiful, yeah. And um, wow, it was just a lot. So I so just to because I, I don't want to take too much time on my my grief. I want to make sure you know we. We all got we all got grief to talk about, but um, because it's unfortunately it's a it's a really crappy part of life. It's <laughs> yeah, a crappy happens. part of being a human being. Of being a human, exactly. And oh, yeah. um, so so uh, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother also because um, my both of my parents are they're retired both retired military now, but um, both of my parents were active duty. And they, I think the, the general consensus was they didn't want me to be a total military brat and that feeling of like displacement. And I think that's something that they collectively along with my grandmother, like decided that, okay, like, so if we are going to be moving around and being stationed different places, then, you know, he needs like a, like a true North home base. Right. So, um, so I spent a lot of time with my grandmother um while my parents were overseas or you know deployed or things like that and uh and not to say like like let me tell you something my mother wrote it every which way before we had the technology we had now every which way she could contact me whether it was on the phone or her sending me postcards or letters every i'm talking about like multiple times a week i would just have them come flowing in i still have like a bunch of them but anyway um, i digress <laughs> so um yay mom yeah. So, uh, but my grandmother became like, like all, she was also a mother figure and not even just in that like grandma way, like the fun grandma way, like she was like also mom. Right. And so I, because I just, she, I shared so much with her and vice versa. And so I, when we found that out, I just, and there was only, there was a six month period between when we found out and when we lost her so there wasn't that much time to process and to because it was already stage four when we knew once we knew 
So the thing also Ooh. about renal cell carcinoma, just to give, and I only know one other person in my life who's who has a, a relative or family member that um, has passed from renal cell carcinoma. And so we relate a lot on that level also. But um, so it's renal cell carcinoma is environmental. It's not uh, biological. And so, which that I can go into another time, but, um, uh, and it had, it was occupationally, occupational based is how that happened uh, with her. But um, finding that out, I just, I mean, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. Like it sent me into like a tailspin. I was binge drinking and going out a lot and, I think we all know I love my wine, but like it, you know, it was, it was a little intense there for a minute. And, um, and so, you know, even like going to the hospital, I mean, was just, it was, it was just hard for me. And so, you know, without taking up too much time on all the, all the, the details completely, but, um, so the grieving process. So it was, I mean, you know, I remember saying goodbye to her in her hospital bed and, you know, I, one of the things I I do wish I had done is I wish I had, I wish I'd stayed for like the, uh, I deep, I guess, but I wish I had stayed for the last breath. I, I didn't have the, the, I, I didn't have the emotional capacity to do that at the time. I was 26, I believe at the time, right? Like 26. And I just, I couldn't process it properly. Or I don't know what what is properly and what isn't with grief. And to be totally honest about that, I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows the answer. And I don't, I also do subscribe to the idea that there's not like a right way to grieve, right? Like I, I, I don't, like I would never tell anybody like you shouldn't grieve this way because there isn't a right way or wrong way or whatever. Um, But I just couldn't be there for like the last moment. So my mom called me a few hours after and she told me she was gone. And I just went into this, like, like I, I guess it was like a state of shock. Like I just couldn't, like, I didn't, I was like, I, I didn't know left from right. I was just like, okay, like, you know, and so a lot of the emotions of everything came out after. So there was the funeral, of course, and, or the awakening, the funeral and all of that stuff. And, you know, and I think like, for me, like, I just remember like a lot of people saying, I'm sorry. And a lot of people hugging you and not to take away from anything any of those people did for me or the way they were there for me, but it was just very, uh, I felt like, I didn't feel like I could feel like a lot of things, like emotionally, like I was just kind of like, it was like very, I don't know the word. Was it like a blur? It sounds like. It was like a blur. Yeah. It was just like a blur, but it was also like, I just could not like impenetrable, like nothing nothing set in like from anyone it was just like like later of course i'm like i thank god these people were around me but i just i couldn't 
it was a blur. Like I, you know, like there's some parts of it, like I don't even remember certain interactions. Mm. And so grief, grief, you know, it just kind of turned into, you know, I was like, okay, well, what can I do to not feel this? You know, what can I, what can I drink (laughs) that will, that will not let me feel anything about this right now? Because the moment I have to settle with and sit with this and let this sit with me, like, I don't think I'm going to be fine. So I have to just distract myself in every way, shape or form. Um, to which point, actually, um, I met my husband that April following that. So she passed away in October of 2012. I met my husband in April of 2013. So because I still was kind of cognizant enough to know that if I'm sitting in this space right now, I'm no good to anybody. (laughs) Right. But like, at the same time, it was just kind of like, all right, well, I kind of think I really like this person. So there was oh. that. But, but um, here comes husband saving the day. Oh, God. Yeah. And when I say and, you know, everybody's, you know, everybody's story is different. Something, something or someone. I don't want to say saves you from the grief because not to be like morbid or negative, but no one can really save you from that. Like you have to just move, you have to just go through it and move through it. Like there's no saving you from it. There's being supportive and being there, you know? And I will say like the people that were supportive and then were still there after I came out of that space or not rather come out of, but after I was able to see a little bit more clearly through all of it, those were the real ones. Like they stuck it out like while I'm spiraling and they were still there, but um, they, it really is true when they say like, it never leaves, but Mm -hmm. it hurts a, a little bit less. And when I say a little bit, like it's, it's over a number of years you every detail every detail is very vivid still but like as far as that goes but everything after that is blurry and then things start coming back to you and you start feeling things maybe a few years later and you know or even something subtle like I actually so this was something that just made me feel better and you know, and then obviously you guys tell me what you, what kind of made, gave you comfort at least. Um, my grandmother was wearing a pink t-shirt that I had gotten her when she was in the hospital when she passed away. Oh. And uh, and there was a cross I, I had purchased for her, like that, like one of those little like knickknack crosses though that you put on like your like on your, you know, with your tchotchkes and like your China cabinet or something like that. And it said, uh, it was a scripture from a, the book of Isaiah in the Bible and, and some, I think like two other items that I ended up uh, keeping that were hers just because I knew she loved them. And 
and she just they smelled it smelled like her and I also put this like praying oil that she had in there so I put it all in a Ziploc bag so I had enough cognizance to do that at least I put it in a Ziploc bag and I sealed it shut so that it would always smell like that so it would always smell like her so even now when I open that bag and I keep it in a in one of the drawers um, in my nightstand by my bed so even every now and then I'll like open the bag and it smells just like her Oh wow! And it makes me feel like, you know, she's she's still here. Um, and then the last thing, because I, 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 you know, y'all know me. I just be talk talk. But the last thing is, um, I didn't dream about my grandmother for a very long time after she passed away, and I always liken it to like the universe telling you you're not ready to see that yet because then you're not gonna you're not going to move toward any kind of healing because it's going to be kept alive for you completely. So I didn't dream about my grandmother until the night before my wedding. My grandmother came to me in a dream where it was, and the funny thing is the next, the, on the wedding day, this part happened just like this. It's just, she just, what I didn't see her obviously, but um, in the physical. So she, uh, she happened to be in the room in my dream the whole time. You know, in a dream, nothing looks the same way that it looks in real life, right? Like it just looks different. So, so I'm in this room and I guess this was the room me and my wedding party were supposed to be getting ready in or whatever. And we did all get ready in like a space, like a space together at the venue. And um, my mom and my mother-in-law in the dream came in and, they looked beautiful in their dresses and I was telling them how beautiful they looked and I hadn't finished my tie yet. Now, normally this, the, I should have noticed this, but in the dream, like my mom or my mother-in-law normally would have gone and let me adjust your tie. You know, like the mom thing, like, let me fix that for you or let me tie it. And they didn't do it in the dream. So that was off. So I should have realized it was a dream, but I was just it, <laughs> so, so that, that didn't, that didn't compute. And, um, so they, you know, we're chatting and they leave the room and then my grandmother just steps forward. Like she was just in the room the whole time. And I just, I didn't even, I didn't react in the dream, but I just looked at her. Like, you know, when you look at someone, like you're trying to memorize like every part of their face, like you just want to remember everything about them. And, uh, and so I'm just like looking at her and, and she just starts tying my tie and telling me how handsome I look and, I'm so proud of you and all of the things that I would be able to hear her say, like, or that I imagine myself hearing her say, like in her exact tone of voice, because like, I don't know about every, but for me, like I can still like hear her. Like if I try to think of what she sounds like, I can still hear it like clearly, Um, you know, and like, and there's things that like happen too, where you feel like they're still, I don't know, like they're just around you. Like I was on the phone with my mom a few years ago and my mom and I do this thing where I kneel down and she kneels down, like over our bed. Like she'll like kneel over, like if we're not in the same room, obviously or whatever, but I'll like be on my knees and like leaning over my bed with my, my shoulder, um, elbows on the top of the bed and I'll just be talking. And that's like a thing, like my grandmother used to do that. She did that, does that, and I do that. I don't know, it's like a thing. And um, 
And so I'm looking out the window and my mom was looking out her window too, which I didn't know until after this happened. And we both, and I'm looking directly at the window. So there's no way that I wouldn't, I would have missed if something or, or any, or a person or something were standing there. And I go to, I go to look out there and, and I hear a tapping on the window, like a fingernail is tapping on the window. And my mom hears the same thing at the same time. And we, I went, did you hear, did you hear, there's like a tapping on it. And she goes, there's a tapping on the, oh my, went, did you, wait a minute. And she goes, oh, Georgia. <laughs> and like, we just like, it was, it, when I tell you, like, even now, like, I'm like, it was just the craziest thing. And we, because my grandmother used to, she would take her down, she'd like tap you on the shoulder and be like, um, like just to like get your attention, like, hello. And anyway, that's, uh, that's my, my grief, but uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. I know that was, I told mouthful as usual, but, um, Jasper or, or Theo, Jasper, if you wanted to go, go next and tell us about your, your grief and your story. Well, I um, want to tell you that your story is, you know, it's a beautiful one. Um, and I empathize with you because, you know, losing a loved one like your grandmother, that, that is something that, um, you know, is in, uh, unimaginable to lose someone that, that watches you grow and watches you from a baby to a become a man. And so, you know, yeah. I empathize with you and, you know, uh, my prayers are with you because you're still dealing with this to this day. That's something that, you know, is, is you have to just go through time. You have to keep living, you know. Yeah. You know so. Going to my story, um, well, you guys don't know this, but um, four years ago, four years ago, which would be obviously uh, 13th, I lost my brother. Um, he was murdered. Um, oh, my God. And um, uh, he was murdered on Sunday, Sunday, um, it was a Sunday Late early Monday morning, so like late Sunday night, early Monday morning, um, and uh, he was found by um, the uh, the city workers. They do like the grounds in the city in the mornings. One of them found him, and he was found um, near my mother's house, um, mm-hmm. not even maybe not even a feet, like literally like where they were. The, we had like the uh, buses that travel. They have a bus company that's right behind where my mother lives. And so he was found like right there near. And so um yeah, he was murdered. Um he was uh shot um and dumped there. Um so you know, he has a he has a child and um uh when I found out that he was gone the day I never forget the day they found out that Monday, uh before we knew it was him, we had a lot of police was in it. It was it came in the area and was um traffic heavy and so um, and we did. We know we knew with police, and we seen police coming and looking around the area. Um, and um, I would never forget. Um, the uh, investigator came to our door, knocked on the door. My mom's house had black on, and he came in. I just knew it was something wrong because my mom was. My mom. It was. I already feel like something was wrong because he had called his phone, and I called his phone because my brother 
would go out and he would stay at his friends' homes, his friends' homes, and sometimes he would oversleep and not answer the phone until he wakes up. Sometimes he would sleep through the day and may sleep until one, two or three in the afternoon. So mm-hmm. my mom was calling and she was just trying not to um, panic, but she knew something was off. But I was trying to be positive, like, oh, my brother, he's fine. He's going to call. You know, he just overslept because he does it all the time. Um, but my mom, she just knew that as a child, she knew something was not right. And, mm-hmm. um, like I said, when the investigator came, when the investigator came um, in uh, the middle of the news, uh, it was like a, uh, I can't describe it, but it was like an alibi experience I had. Like, I immediately, I like, started to cry. Like, it was like, and, and it was like a, a quick cry. Like, I cried, um, grabbed my mother, my mother, my mother cried, and then I stopped, I snapped out of it because I was like, I was off my mom, I can't break down. And so, um, I, I snapped out of it and uh, I kind of became numb because I was like, okay, this is a dream. I hadn't processed it because it just, I just thought my brother was dead and that he was, you know, and that he was murdered. It was not like, you know, he was sick or, you know, died from being sick or something like um, someone decided to take his life and then dump his body like he was uh, trash, you know, and that really was gut punching for me because I was like, wow, like, who would do that? Like, how could someone just dump somebody like they're nothing, like they don't have family that loves them? And then I thought about my niece, his daughter, like, she loves her father and all she knows is him. And I'm like, how am I going to have to now tell her and how look at her? And knowing that her dad is gone, her dad's not coming home. So that was, uh, you know, for me dealing with that and trying to process it, and also being with my mother, because that was her firstborn. That was my only brother. I don't have any other siblings, but that's the only brother I have. He's my older brother. So me dealing with that, I'm like, you know, like, what am I, like, my mind was racing. I'm like, this has got to be a dream. Like, I know this is not real. He's going, you know, it's not real in my head. So, you know, it, it, uh, it, it took me, um, his, it took me going to his funeral when I went to his funeral and seeing him in the casket for me to realize like he was gone. Um, yeah. Because it's like, you know, my mind, I'm like, you know, he, you know, it's like, oh, he's, my mind kept saying to myself, he's out of town. Like, I was telling, I told his daughter, like, he, your dad's out of town, he's coming home. But my mind, I played it in my head, it's the same, like, I said to myself, oh, he's out of town, he's coming home. He, he, yeah. he did shows. I'm like, he's going to a show, he's going to come home soon. But, Seeing him there, and I could, I remember like um, I was um, in the dorm at school, and I was walking to the dorm room, and uh, I was saying to myself, I have to get ready to say goodbye to my brother, and I couldn't even utter the word goodbye. Like it was like me saying the good. When I said good, I got literally like had a, a mini breakdown, and in the moment of saying the word good, so I'm like, I had to tell my brother to tell my brother or look at him and say to him to myself that he's gone forever um and so like they were just dealing with that um just coming to terms knowing that he was not gonna be on this earth when me and my brother we had we didn't have the stereotypical what you call brother relationship like we didn't hang out we didn't do we didn't go to you know clubs or we didn't do things that brothers stereotypically you would think their brothers would do we didn't hang around the same crowds of people so like our relationship we were close because you know we we um you know we grew up together with I, he had he had other siblings outside of me, but he was closer to me because we were we raised together, and so you know we didn't have that. Like I said, we didn't have that high school. We hung out or anything or went out with each other to places. We you know just didn't have that relationship. Um, but he knew he, he knew I loved him and I know he loved me and he was a great big brother. He was very protective of me and you know um 
with him passing, like I told my mom, I remember the day I had um came home uh from school and that day I kept that I kept trying to keep it together. And this particular day I was at school doing trying to do work in the library and I couldn't concentrate, like I couldn't. That whole day my head was hurting really bad. I couldn't concentrate, I couldn't think, I couldn't focus. So I just I was trying to do work and I just left the library and came to my mom's house. And so my mom was like, you know, she had been telling me like they cry, like you need to let it, need to release it, cry, let it out. And because I didn't cry at funeral because I couldn't be emotional because I didn't, I'm the type of person like I, I, you know, I just feel I, I'm not a emotional person, so it's not mm. easy for me to let my guard down and be emotional. So mm. I was being strong at the funeral and keeping my guard up. So on this particular day, um, like my, like I said, my mom was like, you know, you need to just open, you know, release it and cry. So on this particular day, I got to my mom's house and I was talking to her and telling her what was going through my head, and I, I had a breakdown, like a full on meltdown, screaming, you know. Mm-hmm. It was the whole fish. Like I let it out. Like I was a ball. Like I just couldn't believe my mother was gone. And I was hurt. Like my feelings were hurt. Hurt. And I was devastated. I was like shattered into a million pieces. And you know, I feel like a piece of my heart was taken when he was taken from me because that's all I have besides my mother and our close family is my brother. So a piece of me is gone. So I think for me now, I know that it affected me because. With dealing people because I'm naturally guarded. I was a guarded, guarded person, but now I feel like I have a defense mechanism where I have to be always be like this tough, combative person because I feel like I have to protect myself because I feel like if I'm vulnerable and I show that I'm weak, that somebody would hurt me like I hurt my brother because I feel like my brother, you know, was uh, he was a tough person. He would give that shirt off his back. He help anybody, and I feel like him being as vulnerable like that he was taking advantage of and someone hurt him so I just felt like I have to keep myself strong um in the grieving process for me um um I have a great friend who um called me throughout the whole um ordeal who talked to me almost every day and my cousin and my aunt who I talked to almost every day you know they called and checked on me even when I did run call because at one point I shut off my social media in my phone, I wasn't talking to anyone for weeks. And so, you know, them were the only people I talked to and them calling and checking on me and just listening to me and letting me vent is what helped me, you know, kind of move through it. And I had some of the worst nightmares. I had some of the hardest times those first couple of months. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I was like, it was just hard for me to function. I had um, developed anxiety and not, I had the type of anxiety that was internal where I would feel my heart would beat fast. I would get triggered by things, loud noises, being, not being at home about my mother. Like, I would just, they, the anxiety would get, into, get to me really bad. Um, that's how bad it was for me. Um, and so, you know, um, my, and I go, I go to the church, so my church family really was the support system for me as well because of their prayers and, you know, sending me cards and my pastor, sending me different um, uh, pamphlets on grief on how to deal with grief, on the stages that people are going to be going through. Like, help me understand the process of it and me dealing with it. And, you know, it, it's been a process four years now going through and it's been a process of just, for me, of just, you know, understanding that, you know, it happened and that I can't change it or undo it and that I have to be here and be here for his daughter and just be, live, because he want me to live. And I had to realize, like, 
still want me to continue living my life and, and, and doing what's best for me and not stopping my life because I want to stop living. I want to just curb it all and go hide and never come out to the world. But I knew that I had to come to the organization. I knew that my brother wouldn't want me to just stop living. And so, you know, that helped me, you know, get through in four years now. I'm not, I'm doing better because I'm able to talk about it because at one point I couldn't talk about him. I wouldn't look at his pictures. I wouldn't even say his name. Now I can say his name. I would talk about him and share my um, story and share his story and share, and share how it affected me. And, mm-hmm. and this is my story on, on my worst moment. Now on to my other bro, Yo. Oh, God. <laughs> what can I say? Um, <clears throat> what's grief? Um, I don't think I really speak about grief. Well, my grief a lot. Um, I don't speak about me a lot. Um, I'm in the kind of business where you have to, you know, the profession where you have to care and take care of others. Mm-hmm. And worry about others' physical health and mental health. And well, there's two griefs that I um oh you know, I'm dealing with loss or dealing with my grief or my loss. And I still up to today I, I have not gotten over it. Um so one Yeah, the one that I'll gladly talk about and which a lot of people don't know Mm -hmm. is that um, my biological father passed away Mm -hmm. and I still don't have the words or the understanding or the emotional maturity to accept that accept it or and I don't think I want to um, my father was um, what I mean like you know he, he was like the bee's knees <laughs> for lack of a better word my father was he was such an, like, an amazing man and I admired everything he did everything he said and I wanted to be exactly like him. My father was the kind of father that was like, he was like a very present father. He was, he played a very active, like sometimes too active role. Like he was in my life too much. (laughs) (laughs) He was a very intimidating man. And but like he was like really hard to the world, but inside of the house it was really warm and comforting and he encouraged us and affirmed us. And so when I was 10 years old, my biological father passed away of AIDS. Mm-hmm. And and my mother and my family no one ever explained that to a 10 year old and no one felt the need to explain to a 10 year old that this was what was happening like you jasper and you isaiah you guys had the 
I think it was a, the appropriate way of going through things. You guys were able to see your loved loved one in a casket. Mm-hmm. I never got to see that happen. Wow. I never got to see my father in a casket. Uh, I never got to say goodbye to my father. My father was here today. And back in that time, AIDS was, you know, it was AIDS. He had AIDS. Uh, My father was a gorgeous man. And I saw my father deteriorating throughout the, you know, the months and the weeks and the days. And I would ask questions and people will tell me, mind your business, you're a child. Stay out of grown folks business. And one day my father was really, really sick. Him and I were trying to do homework and my father just threw up on top of the table. And my, and my father was very like, you know, get your education, get your education. Mm -hmm. So he threw up all over the table and he threw up on top of my homework and some of the, the vomit got on top of me. Sorry for being so, um, visual mm-hmm. and the family members came in they took him and they left and that was the last time i saw my father and with no questions asked and then uh two weeks later um family members came in and just told me you know dale for my spanish-speaking family members your father is dead and no one at 10 years old, because at 10 years old, you know, I, I thought I knew it all. But now as, as, a, as a grown man, I knew nothing. My family didn't take the time to explain grief to me. Didn't take time to explain loss to me. Didn't take time to share. Oh, you know, no one took time to ask me how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So for a very long time, I, Theo Fox, was angry because my idol was gone and no one and everybody was acting as if everything was fine. Mm -hmm. And later on, being the nosy, inquisitive teenager that I became, I discovered that my father had AIDS um, I discovered that my father got a blood transfusion years ago, and that's how he acquired the virus. And no one ever said anything to me. And I grew even more angry. And eventually I found a very good therapist <laughs> <laughs> that put some things in order for me and I was able to move forward. And um, like you, Isaiah, you said earlier today that, you know, you find it difficult on your grandma's birthday, you know, to be motivated or to do things. Yeah. Uh, my biological father passed away on my birthday, from my understanding, April 7. And I find it very difficult up to today. I'm 36 years old to celebrate my birthday and be happy and be present and celebrate me. Uh, Especially since he used to make a very big deal about my birthday. Mm -hmm. It was like super annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And even up to this day, I still have that burden and that heaviness and that sadness. 
and I miss my father every day. Um, I think about my father every day. I don't, I do not feel like you guys feel mentioned, you know, and in general, people feel a little bit more relief. Um, every, I, I feel the same way I did when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. I feel the loss even more now as a 36 year old man. And, you know, I guess I, I you know, I speak to my therapist about it mm-hmm. and I tell, and I guess it's something carry with me for the rest of my life. And even my father passed away when he was 40 something years old. And I think about that age coming up for me. And I think of my mortality. Mm-hmm. And I think of my child. And I think about, you know, the kind of impact that I want to have on, in her life and in the life of the people that I love because my father was that amazing that after all these years that he's passed away, I still have a vivid picture of how he looks, how he sounds, how he smiles, how he smells. Like if you guys can smell me, I smell exactly like my father. (laughs) My father used to wear Egyptian musk oil, and that's all I wear. And is a constant reminder. I don't know. You know, I don't know if psychologically it's doing me any good, but I don't want to forget my father. I don't want to forget the incredible human being that he was. And he, of course, he wasn't perfect, but uh, but to me, he was like I, I idolized my father. And a lot of, you know, I, I try to copy a lot of the things that he did and he says, and trust me, I'm failing. But I, um, this loss or this grief that I have is something that I deal with continuously, mm-hmm. is something that I deal with every day. And I think a lot of it is, um, unfortunately, a lot of the adults in my life did not help me deal with the grief and the loss in an appropriate way. And I think I get, I've come to terms with understanding that they too were dealing with their grief and their loss, and maybe they didn't have the necessary tools to teach me what I needed to be taught. Because mm-hmm. I was also angry at the people around me that did not protect me in the way that I needed to be protected. So that's why right now, the kind of parent that I am, I'm very protective of my child and what she is and isn't exposed to and I also do not downplay her intelligence. And I, you know, I speak to her directly within her, where she is developmentally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I, I wish, you know, hopefully one day I will find the comfort of dealing with my grief and with my loss and hopefully get getting through it because I haven't gone through it and I don't think in my subconscious in my soul or my spirit I don't want to get through it if that makes sense it does mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry to bring it down <laughs> no, not at all. We, add to it. we add to it I feel sorry to do it I add to the middle and you just bring it on home yeah. um, and it's just you know this is where I am and this is why I am 
to some, I might appear to be very hard, very tough. And I've had to be that way. Because I can only imagine the spiral that I would have gone through, you know, addiction and all these other things. I, you know, and I, you know, that's why, you know, there's something out there holding me together. And that's why my family is very important to me because family was very important to my father. Family was very important. You know, we used to have family dinner every day. We used to sit down and have family dinner. He used to force us. And I used to complain. I, I was a very big mouth when I was younger and a big complainer. <laughs> Sounds familiar. I, 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 I still am. Yes, it's my thing. <laughs> and, and now when he used to force us to eat dinner and force us to sit together and watch TV, and him and I used to sit down and watch a ton of Disney tapes, Lion King, the Aristocats, and all these things together. And now I look like it was purposeful. Like he did those things on purpose. And I don't want to forget those things. And I, I don't, I guess, you know, I don't know if it's an unhealthy thing to do or a healthy thing to do, but you know, that is where I am with my grief and I'm okay with feeling that way. You know, I'm not depressed like I used to be before. I had I went through a deep depression and didn't know that I was going through a dep- depression. I went um, through, you know, suicidal ideation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I came out of that triumphant. And um, losing a parent, especially at a young age, I don't think it's something that you can ever process and especially if the gatekeepers around you didn't help you process that i processed my father's death officially when i was 22 years old wow uh and that's because i got up pulled myself up by my emotional and my psychological bootstraps and i had to mature before my time I had to emotionally mature before my time and defend myself emotionally and psychologically for a very long time well mind you my family is wonderful but my family is imperfect and by the time from 10 to 22 so much damage was done um, psychologically and emotionally uh, but thank God for, you know, thank God, or thank you, Black Jesus, for therapy. Uh, thank you for, you know, just being able to move forward and being forward thinking and modeling the behavior that I wish was modeled for me when I was younger. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and that's you know that's my emotional, that's my grief and my um, loss that I um, and uh, and when you say also Isaiah that you dreamt of your grandmother, every time I dream of my father, that day is going to be a good day. And I and I dream of him often. And 
I and we have in my in my and in my dreams with my father, they are very detailed. I see his beard. I see his kufi. We sometimes go pray together. We sometimes are eating breakfast together. We sometimes are reading the Quran together. Um, everything is very detailed. Even the words on the Quran are detailed <laughs> in my dreams with him. And I, every time I do that, I wake up and like, like, you know, I want to go back to sleep because I want to enjoy that more. But I know when I wake up that today is going to be a good day because I, I started my day with my father. Um, yeah, and that's my grief and my loss that I deal with every day. And um, I haven't gotten over it, you know. Hopefully, I, you know, I hope that I can get over it and move on and live to be 100. And when I close my eyes and I die... And I wake up again. I wish that, you know, I hope that he's the first person that I see. Um, yeah. And that's my grief and my loss that I deal with every day. And um, I haven't gotten over it, you know, hopefully, I, you know, I hope that I can get over it and move on and live to be a hundred. And when I close my eyes and I die, and I wake up again, I wish that, you know, I hope that he's the first person that I see. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have anything else to say. Sorry. <laughs> Why? Sorry. I, that, that, yeah. was, that, was, that was, I can't even you put it in words. I listen yeah. to your story. Just. I'm wow. sorry. And, and and a lot of people, I haven't shared this with a lot of people. I just, I, I think now is a good time. <laughs> a lot of people, I have a, uh, a stepfather mm-hmm. and a lot of people, I, f- to protect myself emotionally, mm-hmm. I have verbalized that this is my father. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I, I, you know, it depends on my mood. You know, sometimes I, I am incapable of sometimes processing that my dad, that my daddy is not here and he has not seen me. And I, and I, and I look exactly like my father. Oh, wow. uh, and sometimes it, um, it just bothers me. Sometimes I look into the mirror and I see my father and it bothers me. Uh, and that, and when you, Jasper, you mentioned that, oh, when you um, you have a nice smile, let's use the picture with your smile. That is my father's smile. Oh, it makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. So you know, sometimes you know, sometimes some days are good days, and sometimes are bad. And I think that's sometimes the, that's the basis of my anxiety, where my anxiety comes from. So, and, you know, and I have a very good relationship with my parents now, my stepdad and my mother. They're very, very good people. And I feel I have grown so much where I can say, tell people that my stepfather is my father. and He stepped in and I gave him a hell of a run for his money. (laughs) (laughs) And he is an incredible father. And that's why I feel very comfortable calling him my father. 
and I haven't shared this with a lot of people because I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe sharing this with a lot of people. And I also wasn't emotionally or psychologically ready to share that. And yeah, well, I'm 36 years old now. If not now, then when? <laughs> well, thank you for, for being open enough to share your story with us. Absolutely. Uh, so honored and privileged to, um, to, to be chosen and put in this place to hear your story along with Isaiah. Well, this is a safe space. Absolutely. I was going to say that, like, this is, you know, this is a safe space. And I feel like safe spaces mean being able to be the full spectrum of all of the vulnerability that you may feel about anything, you know, that, that you've experienced, you know, in this world, you know, just... The human experience and the human condition is is a, it's a lot. It's very it's it's heavy and it's not. I want to say it's not for the faint of heart, but we all do it. So so that's none of us are really faint of heart. I think if if we can say we've we've made it through, and I think to touch on something you said, Theo, about about not necessarily getting through it or moving through it is. I take it on as, hey, like, this is just part of the fabric of my being now. Like, it's not even about getting through it. It's really growing with it. You know, I always try to say, like, what you go through, you grow through. But yeah. I think with grief, like, it just grows with you. And it just depends on where you are depending on the day you know i like you don't i don't think you ever get over get over a loss not really i don't think you're supposed to i think it's supposed to just it's supposed to take on its own life within you and i think it's supposed to just affect your every being and hopefully in a positive way most days but some days some days it's just not gonna you're some days it's just not gonna be it you know what i mean some days some days you're in the car and a certain song comes on and you just are crying on your way to work not speaking from experience or anything Um, (laughs) you know and then and then you get to work and it's like oh it's just allergies i'm sorry (laughs) but you know what my therapist told me years ago which i um because i used to keep this all bottled in and you used and i used to be like a pepsi i love pepsi so i'm gonna say pepsi i used to be like a two liter pepsi bottle you're shaking 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 and then you're afraid to open up the cap Uh that used to be me because i was keeping all of that in and my therapist through conversation says she said won't you just give yourself the the give yourself the gift of grieving of crying mm-hmm. of acknowledging mm-hmm. and she and i said you know what yeah why don't i do that so we um so every every time of my birthday i am my family has gotten to the custom of leaving me alone <laughs> i am alone i cry i am vulnerable i am 
you know, I, I go and I, you know, I'm asking why. Um, I'm, I'm being grateful for also the memories, and I, I let I, I release. And um, every April seven, I do that, and I have time alone, and I meditate, and you know, go through the emotions that I need to go through instead of being. Uh, a Pepsi bottle that's been being shaken for 10, 12, 14, 15 years. <laughs> Can you imagine opening that up? Oh my God. It's like, talk about not being able to put it, you know, put it back in the bottle or container. Yeah. Okay, the underwear. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like Pandora's box. Like once you open it, you can never close it again. Well, I open it and then close it right back up and tell it all and tell the feelings, get back in there. <laughs> like get back in there. This is not the time. And and that's on compartmentalization. <laughs> yeah, you know. But you know what it is also is because I am I you know, even though those things happen to us, you know, we still have to go out into the world and function. Yeah. That's we still had to go and be present. And, you know, the world wasn't designed. I think if I lived in a different world and my family was given, you know, I grew up very privileged. But I think where we had privilege in terms of money and things like that, um, we didn't have emotional stability and abundance. We didn't have vulnerability and, and it's also because, my, you know, my family are Hispanics, my family are Muslims, my family are minorities. So they had to be present, they had to present in the world a certain way in order to make ends meet and to make things happen. And I think for me as well, if I was raised in a different society where I was allowed to be angry without being ostracized and being a pariah, I would have been okay. You know, society didn't grant me the opportunity to be angry and to be sad and to be depressed because then I will be labeled as a schizophrenic or, you know, that angry black boy is going to be a criminal. Uh, you know, and all these other factors that had to that played in to me having to push my emotions and my grief to the back of the room and present every day. You know, I remember having to take the test the next day in school after my father died and Miss Chambers, this was the teacher name, I hope she's doing well, told me that if I didn't, no, I hope, no, no, this is me being facetious. I hope she's not doing well. I <laughs> Because she said that if you miss this, you cannot miss the test because I'm going to fail you. Wow. Oh, Bye, Mrs. So Chambers. Like, I hope yeah. you're telling a well. Next. <laughs> but, but then I would see that the other kids that did not look like me, hint, hint, they were going through, like, you know, they had a bad day because they had an argument with the sister, their mom, or, you know, and where they, it caused them to rile up and have the same emotion as me. They were cuddled. They were taken to the guidance counselor. The teacher took her time to have conversations with them. And here I was dealing with this, that I had a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And I was not allowed to see a guidance counselor. 
I was told to suck it up. And, and I was told to get over it. Welcome wow. to New York. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You weren't showing any compassion. No so, compassion. So sometimes, and, you know, and I'm still dealing with, and you know, I was a very emotional kid, and I, that, emo, that emotional kid had to die so that I could survive and be here today. That's true. That's okay. And I know that's not only my story, that's the story of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It is. That you had to put your grief and your loss to the back of the room, to the bottom of your list, so that today you can be, uh, you can be alive. And if it wasn't for me being able to do those things or doing those things, I would have taken my own life. I would have been addicted or would have been in someone's psych ward. Oh, yeah. Because when they say black don't crack, I'm not just talking about my skin. Okay. I'm talking about all aspects of me. (laughs) Okay. Mr. Breakdown, don't discriminate. Oh. You know, and I think, and I think, you know, this is, and just to bring light to, I mean, it's incredibly, this is incredibly important to, to not just to be open as, I mean, you know, because I feel like a running theme, especially the last two episodes has been catharsis, right? And Oof. Right? But I feel like, it's so important for people that look like us to to have a have a space or spaces where you can emotionally unload and you can really speak about i mean like the depths of your soul in a sense and how you how you maintained and how much we compartmentalize because we felt like we've had to so much, you know? And even especially in, you know, and I'm just going to speak for myself in this sense. I don't want to blanket statement, but like I've definitely felt like I've had to be less emotional in spaces with, and I think we definitely chat about this on another episode, but I've definitely felt like I've had to, minimize or be less emotional in spaces with other men Oof. particularly I've always felt like I could open up and be more emotional with my female counterparts because it was it wasn't really okay to be emotional like that with the men in my life so it was, you know, if I had tears or I had pains or anything like that, it was always, that's why, you know, I, I, I grew up with a lot of, a lot of estrogen in my life. So I always felt like those were safe spaces with my grandmother and with my mom and things like that. But, you know, I I didn't have like, I didn't really have like these conversations with, you know, I didn't have these conversations with my father or with, you know, and that's a story unto its own, but you know, with 
I think this is, by the way, this is going to be a two part. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> two parts. Oh, yeah. Because it's where it's yeah. still going. There's definitely like. No, but what you're saying, possible. but also what you're saying is true. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, we have. I am. We have. Uh, <laughs> um, as men. I, when I was a child and I was grieving or I was looking to be comforted in that way, I was told to suck it up. I was told to stop being a faggot. I was told that is for girls. I was told, I, I, I knew the word bitch ass nigga before it became trendy. Oh, damn. <laughs> Yeah, talk about toxic, um, toxic masculinity. Oh. I, I, I was saturated by it. And my father, as, as masculine, he was as masculine as they came. But there was such a vulnerability about my father. There was such a, a ease about him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I, I, you know, I don't, as a 36 year old man, I need that in my life so much. And I don't have that. And my father would have been my gatekeeper. He would have kept those things away from me. Mm-hmm. But because he was not a, a, um, around, you know, I was told, oh, stop crying about everything. Why are you always crying like a bitch about everything? Mm-hmm. Get over it. And so I grew up and I became conditioned to think, crying equals to weakness mm. sensitivity equals to someone you you being treated like a doormat mm. vulnerability is someone taking advantage of you so i decided you know i had to um, bury that boy i had to kill him and bury him and from time to time i think about him and i wonder you know what kind of person would theo have been if he was told, oh, Theo, you're crying? Here, here's some tissue. Cry some more. Mm. Hey, Theo, you're sad? Let's sit down. Tell, talk to me about your sadness. Hey, Theo, here's a hug and a kiss. Even as a 36-year-old man now, I feel very uncomfortable when people hug me. It just shows, it really, it really, it really lends or puts a lens to how damaging it can be, toxic masculinity I'm referring to, um, and not telling young men that it's okay to show emotion. And I think it was like a double-edged sword for me a little bit because... I was allowed in my, at least in my, in my home with my, with my mom and my grandma and I was allowed to cry and I was allowed to be, but then in the outside world, I was too sensitive and I was too docile and, you know, and and that helped in my friendships with women (laughs) because, but in the outside world, it was just kind of like, okay, well, man up, you know? 
What, what what the hell does that mean, man? man up. Right? I mean, really, if we if we want to get real technical, it should be woman up because if any being can push <laughs> a child out of a small orifice, okay, <laughs> that's the uh, way I, I I and I will say one of the real things to and not to say listen and not to say my mother was not because it was just my mom as far as my my parentage when it's as well in, in a lot of ways like or being around at least um she had to be both roles in some cases so she had to be mom and dad and so constantly walk that line i know we're getting a little off topic with this but just like she had to constantly walk that line of like okay so i have to be soft and feminine and motherly but then I also have to be like an authoritarian and fatherly and it, it, it was like a weird balance but um, it, it's it's. I feel like those those roles like just kind of those roles are so they're, it's toxic like to, to placate people into these spaces because then like you should have never had to kill that that part of yourself for survival. Oh, I murdered that motherfucker. I remember the <laughs> I remember the battle. I, I remember the battle. Like you should have never had to, in all seriousness, had to kill that part of yourself for survival in order to, to, to really blossom and to move forward. Yeah. I remember I remember when I told my therapist that and she was like, you say what now? <laughs> she probably was like, wait, what? Who? who? Oh, I hope I don't have a Dexter in my room. I said, I feel emotion. I said, in, in, in reality, I am a very emotional person. I am a very sensitive person and I'm, I'm a very empathetic person. Um, but I was raised in an environment and in a religion, Islam, where those things were looked down upon. And those were things that were labeled for women. Those were things that were not meant for, you know, big, strong men and masculine. And you're going to be making babies and, you know. So it was just like, it was unfortunate. So that's why I have nieces and nephews now. And I, especially my nephews, you know, I tell them, let it go. If you're feeling sad, there shouldn't be a behavior behind it. Use your words. And if you need to cry, cry. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, pre, I, I say to them things that were never said to me. And I also believe the men in my space or the men that were raising me or the men that I was around, they, they themselves were taught this. And I think they themselves committed murder on the young child that was them, that was emotional. Oh, yeah. It was a cycle. Uh, a cycle. Um, uh, and, and listen to you, uh, you know, as a kid, I was very emotional as a kid. I was uh, very sincere. And as I got older... I think, um, you know, growing up in an abusive household, which like, we would probably check on another time, but I think growing up in an environment like that really, like, affected me as I became older because then I started, I became guarded and then I became less emotional. Mm-hmm. And I didn't show emotion. And, I, and it was like, 
like like not just a robotic because like people like I, people would expect me to be emotional, you know. Um, when I when 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 you know tragedies come, I don't. But I would there be emotional like, um, you know, I would hold them back like either my grandmother's funeral, my mother's mother. Like I wasn't emotional. Like I I felt that she was the one to come, but I would restrain them. I would restrain them and keep a man. Like I was like I said, my, I was raised that. She believed that you know men are, are supposed to be strong and supposed to, to hold the family together, be tough, and not be vulnerable. So that was always in my head like I had to be strong. But I was literally like in a way like almost killing myself trying to be strong and not show emotion. Um, losing my brother because I'm making myself sick and didn't realize it. Like I really could have put myself in the hospital or had a stroke because I was having a headache and chest pain. But I really could have killed myself. Trying to be this tough and hold all this pain in. But when you're in pain, you have to let it out. And I've learned that you have to uh, release it and, and you know and give yourself permission to release and, and let that pain out and let that pain go because you know it, it could physically affect you. And, and uh, you know it's 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 sad that you know uh, that you were that you were um, raised and you were told were told to. If you had to kind of go out there, t- that side of you because you should be vulnerable and show your emotional side and cry because crying is what it, it's, it's, the, it's natural. That's what we mm-hmm. were giving tears for. We didn't get what we were giving tears to hide them when we were sad. We were giving tears to show them and let them fall. Absolutely. So. And that's so important, like just to, like verbalizing that, that part, like, like tears are release like it's not it's not weakness or it shouldn't be perceived that way tears are release it's a release of emotion it's supposed to for me when i if i cry i'm like this is like you know obviously in the moment it doesn't feel great but it's it's just like i'm letting all this weight off of me Oh, you feel great after you cry. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, like right? Like it's just like ah, like you can just breathe again after. Yes. That's the best kind of sleep I have after a good cry. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But <laughs> oh, yeah. like a whole weight lift like the whole like stress and uh the, the the heaviness of being you know, holding these tears in once you release them, it's like the heaviness is gone. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It is. Man. Heavy, heavy, heavy. I know this was a very heavy episode. (laughs) But I feel like I like I mean I don't know about you guys, but I feel you know, I, I also want to say, like, thank you both for not only, like, allowing me to have that safe space to dive in and share that, you know, my experience with you guys, but wow, like, and I also feel like, I feel like I got to, like, not, like, we, you know, we talk and we chat, like, a lot, but I feel like I really got to hear parts of you guys that I would have never known otherwise it like adds a layer you know what i mean like yeah, we're that. multi-layered like you said before absolutely yeah. it's like, right it's like phil it's like 
filling in spaces and going, wow, like, you know, like if we start, like, it's like, it's like a slate, like, like when you first start, like, like if you start life, one color, like if you start life, like pink, like you end it magenta, like, hey, and you know what I mean? Like, it's, I don't know. I don't know a better way to explain it. No, but I, I too also just want to piggyback on what you said i want to you know thank you guys for sharing um you jasper i know that's not an easy thing to share and you isaiah i know losing a grandparent especially one that helped raise you to be the wonderful person that you are today isn't easy to share and you know again thank you for feeling and this is what makes this a safe place you sharing those things and feeling comfortable sharing those things. And I appreciate it. I concur. Once again, once again, thank you both for sharing the story with me. And I, and I in choosing this space to share it in, I'm honored to be chosen to be in a space to hear your stories and, you know, and, you know, and, and also learn more about you guys and listening tonight puts a lot into perspective. Because now I like I just said the pieces of each one of you that I have now acquired. So now I'm learning a little bit more about you guys. So it's a beautiful moment. Beautiful. It really is. It really is. Oh, oh my brothers. <laughs> I know. So this is where we're going to end. And until next time, everybody. Thank you, guys. We out. <laughs> we out. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta laugh a little bit, right? Yes, I know. Let's laugh. Let's let, let that be Let's the last thing we do. Laugh. Oh my God! Yes, La- yeah. laughs ahoy, like chips ahoy, but laughs ahoy. Yeah. Later, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Oh, yes. Lost touch with my soul I had nowhere to turn I had nowhere to go Lost sight of my dream Thought it would be the end of me I I thought I'd never make it through I had no hope to hold on to I, I thought I would I didn't know my own strength And I crashed down And I tumbled But I did not Crumble I got through all the pain I didn't know my own strength Survived my darkest hour My faith kept me alive I picked myself back up Pulled my head up high I was not built to break
I got to know my own strength. 